Sports fans, don't miss the companion video to this podcast detailing why the triangle offense was never the problem for Phil Jackson's Knicks. And also, don't miss a limited edition t-shirt we are selling with an awesomely cool diagram of pinch posts on the front and our logo as well. It's a great way to commemorate the triangle offense and will undoubtedly be a collector's item. Check the description here, our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages, as well as our website for the link. With that in mind, I want to share with you a special storyteller podcast, my love letter to the triangle offense. On June 28th, Knicks team president Phil Jackson was either fired or stepped down from his position, forced to do a walk of shame after three years of mediocrity slash failure. And this led to some serious self-reflection on my part, since I had spent much of my time at B-Ball Breakdown defending the triangle offense. And it was plain to see that as soon as Phil left, no one would ever try to embrace the pure triangle offense again at least as we knew it, when his Bulls and Lakers team ran it for 11 titles. I want to take you on my own personal journey through the triangle to explain why I so fiercely defend it to this day. So indulge me as I craft this love letter to the triangle offense. Growing up in Chicago, my dad came home one day in 1986 and announced he had bought Bulls season tickets. This was a revelation, as Michael Jordan was about to embark on his third year, and I was starting my freshman year in high school. For the next three seasons, I was treated to the most dominant performance we had ever seen from an NBA player since Wilt Chamberlain. Yet, they would frustratingly come up empty each year when the defense by the Pistons would ratchet up the pressure and prevent Jordan from winning the series all by himself. And mind you, it didn't stop Michael from trying. When Phil Jackson took over in the summer of 1989, those of us in the stadium quickly became used to seeing him stand up in front of the bench from time to time, making the shape of a triangle with his thumbs and index fingers. And after enough time, I became pretty familiar with the pattern of movement the Bulls would run on those possessions, soon to be known as the Triangle Offense, a method of attack created by Phil's assistant, Tex Winner. The story is well told of MJ embracing the offense, the Bulls going on to win six titles sandwiched around their star's brief retirement for baseball, and breaking the record for all-time wins in his season to boot. The Triangle Offense was at its apex and continued to get even more love as Phil took his talents to Los Angeles and led two different eras to five more titles. My story picks up in LA in 2000, where I had been living for a couple of years and found myself getting an assistant coach's job at a big high school in the San Fernando Valley. The head coach, Al Bennett, had been a D1 player back in the late 60s, playing at the same time as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was still Lou Alcindor at UCLA. I remember the first time I walked in the gym to see his team play, and there was a furious amount of action, shoes squeaking, players sprinting all around the floor. 
This was Bobby Knight's motion offense. And I just sat there thinking, wow, that's an awful lot of energy on every possession. And much of it looked like it was wasted as so much of the weak side movement served no purpose. Coach Bennett was always tinkering, inventing new drills, trying new offenses that stressed teamwork and playing with a purpose. I remembered my days in Chicago Stadium watching Phil hold up that triangle shape, and I suggested the offense to him. Nah, he said, I don't like it. It was just Michael doing everything. I stared at him blankly, but didn't bring it up too much. Then, Phil was hired by the Lakers, and they aired a preseason game on TV. My phone buzzed later that night. It was Coach Bennett. You wouldn't believe what they're running. There's movement with a purpose. Reverse action. It's terrific. That's what I was telling you, Al, I said. We quickly tracked down the triple post offense book that Tex wrote in the 60s. At that time, you had to order it from his son in Manhattan, Kansas, and wait for it to come in the mail. And I can still remember studying it when I first got it, completely intimidated by all the diagrams and nomenclature. It was dizzying from so many options. It's funny thinking back on it now, since it seems so easy to understand after teaching it for so long. So we were way in over our heads, but pressed on anyway, to good results. The players were able to run the four basic options and we had a good season. That next summer, I decided we needed some more insight from Tex Winter himself. In those days, the NBA Summer League was a quiet affair held in the pyramid at Long Beach State. Called that because their gym is literally shaped like a pyramid. Al and I put on our coaching polo shirts, grabbed a couple of clipboards, and just walked down to the floor, trying to look official. Nobody stopped us, so we stood there looking around. All of a sudden, Tex Winter appeared, and I just about accosted him as I blurted out who we were and that we needed to talk to him more about the triangle. He politely handed me a card. I looked down to see his name in purple letters with the eponymous Lakers logo next to it. A few days later, I called. And so began a relationship, not quite an apprenticeship, but a communication chain where we would discuss all manner of intricate footwork and options and passing methods. I even drove up to Oregon one summer to spend a couple of days going through the history of basketball with him and discussing the triangle. Coach Bennett ultimately abandoned the triangle offense and indirectly the team that year fell apart due to transfers. And eventually I found myself out of coaching and working as a video editor. But I couldn't shake the feeling I got when the offense ran to perfection, when the ball swung quickly around the perimeter into a quick dribble handoff, then a touch pass to a cutter for a layup. I had another chance to coach in 2010, this time as the head coach at the same school, and I was determined to run the triangle, the pure triangle, and create an army of shooters who would rain down threes as well as teach my players the true meaning of how to play like a team. By this time, Phil was in Act 2 with the Lakers, the Kobe and Powell years, but negative whispers started bubbling around the triangle offense anyway. You needed someone like Michael to run it. You need a Kobe. It doesn't work without a Shaq. I certainly heard it from parents who were suspicious of what I was trying to do. They hadn't remembered how well it worked 10 years ago at the same school with my freshman teams. But I put my head down, went to work, teaching the triangle in parts, the way I believed it should be done. Contrary to Texas philosophy, which was show the whole, then break it into parts, and put it back together again. For me, I didn't show them the whole offense for weeks until they had done the two-line, three-line, and four-line drills ad nauseum. Every year that went by, the players got better and better at running it, 
and it didn't look like your traditional triangle you're picturing with the Bulls. We shot plenty of threes, never got near a shot clock violation, and got good balance on shots so we could both snare an offensive rebound and get back on defense at the same time. I stopped coaching in 2013, just as the three-point frenzy started to take hold in basketball. Even though the Triangle had won titles as recently as 2009 and 2010, it became a four-letter word. It was too slow, antiquated, only generated long twos, inefficient. Nonsense, I would battle back, in videos and on Twitter. But the narrative took hold, and the dark days of the Triangle were upon us. You can imagine my delight when it was announced Phil was taking over the Knicks and was going to require the Triangle offense be run. Of course, the whole thing was fraught with peril from the beginning. They didn't get the coach they wanted in Steve Kerr, and the coach they got crashed and burned amidst a flurry of rumor and innuendo that would make you blush. Jeff Hornacek came on the scene, and there was a brief moment of hope when I realized the offense he ran in Phoenix had some Triangle principles. But the damage had been done. And the one key component across all of Phil's titles was missing. Tex Winner. Having retired and then fallen ill, he wasn't available to oversee all the details those title teams adhered to. I can't stress this enough. The key to the triangle's success in the NBA was always Tex Winner. The guy who not only invented it, but knew how to teach it the best. I decided to talk to Roland Lazenby about Tex. Roland is an incredible author who has written several fantastic and well-researched books on the NBA, as well as a good friend of Texas and a fellow Triangle Offense coach. Hi, Roland. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Oh, Coach Nick, it's an honor. Well, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations about the Triangle Offense in the past. We both have had uh, lots of experience dealing with the inventor, Tex Winner. And so I thought you could help us go through a little bit of the historical context of the triangle and what it meant to basketball overall. You know, um, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Uh, the triangle has meant so much to basketball. Uh, it's um, uh, one of the great offenses and uh, it's also one of the great defenses in, in uh, a, a certain manner of speaking. So there's a lot of misunderstanding today, so I'm happy to help anywhere I can. Well, let's talk about that misunderstanding because it certainly gripped the public and the media and everybody, certainly around New York. And I was wondering, what, what, can we trace this misunderstanding and this almost like a hatred toward the offense to something in particular? Well, Tex always said that when Phil uh, won the championships, he tended to rub it in. And Phil Jackson um, was the guy who allowed the triangle to, uh, to take center stage during the Jordan era because uh, he helped popularize it. But um, he's not a popular figure. He's not popular among coaches. You know, there are rival philosophies that have competed for years. The pace and space guys sort of grew out of Don Nelson. And Phil and Tex used to laugh a lot at, at uh, hurry-up offenses of, of, of Don Nelson and a lot of his followers. They thought they were, uh, you know, sort of goofball offenses that created some interest during the regular season but could not control tempo and could not win playoff games and championships. Uh, I think it's safe to say that they were right, right? 
Uh, I do. You know, I uh, use the triangle coaching AAU girls basketball, and it was fun to learn principles from Tech's and to keep it simple. But it was, uh, I wanted to coach in the triangle so I could learn to write about it. And Tex, you know, was willing to teach anyone who wanted to learn. He was certainly willing to help me. So talk about your interactions with Tex and what that was like and what he meant to those teams that he was an assistant on. You know, I, I went to Chicago in 1993 and then 94 to uh, write about the Bulls to do a team history and, you know, I was just immediately taken with Tex Winter. I considered him to be, uh, you know, as a journalist, I always look for people who could teach me a lot. And, and Tex was just such a great teacher, such a, uh, with such a voluminous history in the game, uh, such a pure spirit. But most important for a journalist, he was a tremendous truth teller. The guy really didn't know how to uh, to misstate things. He, he was probably too truthful about everything. But that was the kind of guy you could really admire. And I spent hours talking to him. We became good friends. When you say too truthful, does that mean like he was willing to just sort of uh, talk to anybody on the team, and no matter how big they were, what kind of star power they had, he would let them know if they needed to improve on something? Oh, yes. He and Jordan had uh, quite uh, a number of showdowns. And uh, Tex, you know, was a, a guy who was so passionate about the game. Uh, and he he could get quite animated and even physical sometimes with players. He got in a little bit of trouble in college for getting physical with a player who was so angry. And people were afraid with the Bulls sometimes that he would go after Luke Longley maybe and try to strangle the guy and get so mad. But Tex was a wonderful person and in tip-top shape for a, a guy who was, you know, then in his 70s. And uh, the players loved him, but he, he didn't hesitate to take them on. And he would, uh, you know, Jordan would come back at him, uh, borderline disrespectful. And, and, you know, Tex was a pretty brusque coach. He was not the kind of guy who would coddle anyone. And he liked to talk about how in awe he was of Michael Jordan, but he certainly never had hesitated to coach him. You know, what, what do you think that the specific uh, criticism of the, of the triangle is now that we've moved into this sort of quote-unquote modern era of basketball? What are, what do you, what's the consensus now that, that is, is so uh, troubling to people who don't really know the offense that well? Well, I, I think that um, they, they think the offense is slow to develop, obviously. There was a sense that this was a new game. There were no, no, uh, none of the old physical defensive rules, and so the game was going to kick out all the stops and be wide open and make lots of money for everybody. And the triangle was sort of this downer for the party, you know. It was a show killer. It was not cool. It seems to me that maybe the absence of text is what is the theme across all the places where it didn't work. I remember covering the All-Star game when um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and Phil was coaching. And I asked Tim Duncan uh, about that pair of coaches because it was always odd 
that Phil and Tex, whenever they coach the All-Star game, they come in and start having these NBA superstars doing junior high drills and and all the kind or things that were perceived as junior high drills, which were part of Texas' intense approach to fundamentals. And Tim Duncan looked at me and, uh, and he said of Tex Winter, it's obvious who is the brains behind this uh, operation. But Tex was this guy who was unvarnished, it's like Johnny Box said, he treated the triangle like the gospel pages. And he, uh, he believed so much in, in fundamentals. And in the fundamentals he created for his offense, uh, that it was uh, astounding. Uh, Clarence Gaines uh, Jr., who scouted for the Bulls and then later, of course, the Knicks, uh, the son of Big House Gaines, was... Uh, telling a story of Scotty, Pippen, and Jordan uh, on the team bus in Chicago after the Dream Team Olympics in 92 that fall, and they were sitting there talking about Clyde Drexler. And they were saying, just imagine how great Clyde Drexler could have been if he had been with Tex winner and had all of that schooling, all of that intense coaching in the fundamentals. Well, I think you said it best, and uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us, Roland. That was really great. Coach, thank you. I next wanted to talk with an actual coach who is running the pure triangle, and there just aren't many around anymore. I was able to call up my good friend Steve Fitzgerald, who coaches high school ball in Florida and has won over 400 games running the triangle for 21 years. Hey, Coach, how's it going? Very well. Great to talk to you again, Coach. So let's talk a little bit about the, 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 what the triangle means to you as a coach and why, like, what, when you boil it down to its essence, what is it giving your team the, as far as, you know, an offensive attack? I mean, I think it, at its core, it's, um, you know, it's, breeding unselfishness um you know it's it's kind of the way the basketball was supposed to be played the, the ultimate team game where all five guys have a t chance to touch the ball you know and impact the game um so i mean i felt coaching teams that were limited athletically as well as coaching teams that were you know extremely talented it benefited both you know both teams by instilling that underlying, you know, unselfishness that allows you to play up to your offensive potential. So would you say that the, uh, the triangle offense is, is even really needed for like your, your best one or two offensive players? Is that who it's really for? If you have one really great player, a couple of great players, you're implementing it for the, for the role players to actually have a significant role instead of just sort of standing around waiting until the star player decides that they need, you know, they can't get a shot, so they're going to pass it. Um, I mean, I think that's what it's done for the great superstars that have played in the have played in the system in the NBA, um, both Jordan and Kobe. Um, you know, they were successful individual players, but they had never been able to put it together where, you know, they were able to play with their teammates in such a way that, you know, allowed them to have success at that highest level.
Now, do you see, um, you know, even at your, when you're coaching your team, are there uh, particular actions that you seem to fall back on m- way more often than others? Well, I mean, the one consistent action, no matter what type of team you have, is the, you know, the pinch post action. I mean, it's just almost unguardable. And with, you know, as your players get more familiar and able to read, there's just really unlimited options out of that. And then having the two-man game and then the action on the other side that's keeping the defense occupied, it's just almost impossible to, to defend. Do you think that you have an issue uh, generating three-point shots with, with the, way you, the way it's run? No, not at all. I mean, you, can, you honestly can get whatever shots you decide you want your team to shoot. Um, so there's, there's plenty of opportunities to get threes. Um, but the, the thing with the triangle is, is that it gives you opportunity to get high percentage shots. I mean, regardless of whether it's threes or not, um, you know, it's, it's creating great shots. So do you, how, what, what would you say to, um, you know, people that want to criticize the triangle for, for it being like either too slow or it only gets long twos? I think it's very simple to speed up the offense. I mean, Tex Winner's first tenant in his book is basketball is a full court game. So A, you got to create offense out of your defense. B, you got to be able to turn turnovers and even made shots into putting pressure on the defense. So I mean, if you're just kind of lazily walking the ball up the court and trying to pass and cut through the corner every time, of course, it's going to seem stagnant. Um, so you know, he had the attack storm flow. The flow part was when you, you know, you did those other two things and now the defense reacted. Now you flow right into the, into the triangle. So there's, there's plenty of ways to speed the offense up. Um, you know, the, the, the faster you push the ball up the court, the, the less organized the defense is. Um, so the myth of, you know, the, that it's slow is, is not, I don't think it's accurate. Now, what I found is that to be successful in the playoffs, you have to be able to play fast and you have to be able to play in a half-court you know, situation. So it kind of gives you both worlds. If you're a, you know, a play-fast type team and that's all you can do, you're going to end up like the Rockets. So what, are there any other things with the triangle as we move forward into the, the sort of the modern age of it that spacing-wise would need to be adjusted to, to sort of get it into uh, the conversation as being a, a, like a more modern offense? If Golden State just ran the triangle offense, I think you could see the way they would run it. Like on that, when you reverse the ball on that, that weak, you know, the, what was the strong side becomes the weak side with those three initial triangle guys, instead of meeting together you know at the mid post or now they're meeting together closer to the three-point line and now you have you know you have that slip action you have guys step into the three-point line um it's just changing the spacing a little bit and pulling the spacing out you can bring that pinch post guy all the way up around the three-point line so now the guy goes under you're getting threes i mean um there's plenty of ways i think to 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 pull the spacing out, but still have the, the the essence of the offense. Did you have a chance to watch a lot of the Knicks this year? To me, though, before you even get into like how it looks on the court, I mean, you're doomed to failure if a your management, coach, and star player all aren't on the same page. 
from the get-go, it's a disaster when when Carmelo is really not 100%, you know, deciding he's going to make it work. But there's such a dysfunction between, you know, having the real guy that knows it not being the coach, you know, and kind of circling around. I mean, it's almost was no way it could be successful. And and even still, when we're going through uh, these different teams and what they're running, I mean, I think it's fair to say that you see plenty of triangle sets out there that a lot of teams are running. Absolutely. There's no doubt. I mean, you see the imprint almost every team and there's, you know, they're getting a lot of success with those actions. That's why I think, you know, the way the game has evolved, that people are running, you know, instead of running complete systems now, they're running, you know, um, bits and pieces of things that fit to their philosophy that can, you know, you know, provide them with what what they need. You know, KD didn't come in. They didn't they didn't orchestrate their offense around him once he came in. He he fit in perfectly with what they were doing. So I think that's kind of the the difference. You know, if you studied them, I think that's the that's the way basketball is going to go. Well, thanks so much for all of your input. I really appreciate it, and uh, you know, I hope uh, your season goes really well this year. No problem. Always my pleasure. Lastly, I sat down with another triangle friend, Tommy D, who knows both the triangle offense inside and out and is plugged in directly to the media coverage of his beloved Knicks. I wanted to get some more of the insight into just what went wrong personality-wise and how delicate the balance is between coach, general manager, and player. Hey Tommy, glad you can be here with us and I thought you could start by talking about the relationship between Mello and the Triangle as much as um, any human can have a connection to an offense. Coach Nick, always a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, For me, when I I go back to the beginning of the Phil Jackson-Carmelo relationship, obviously Carmelo wanted to uh, be in New York. He he made it a point to be here, and uh, Phil had to negotiate a new contract with him, which, as we all know, probably was his undoing, including that no-trade clause. I just don't think Mello ever took the time to study the nuances of the offense. And when you're, when you're leader, this is what we, what we would call, I think you would agree, buying in. Uh, Mello just never bought into the concept because he just never understood it. And when you, don't, when you don't understand, read, and react, I think Mello's problem coming into the league was winning that championship and then thinking that you know, his way of playing, his style of playing was the end-all, be-all. He did have immediate success early on with uh, Denver. Remember, they went from, I think, a 17-win team to a 45-win team, made the playoffs. And then people started to talk about, you know, kind of, is Melo on that LeBron level? And then that, that narrative kind of continued until the NBA kind of went into this space and pace mode in this new NBA. Uh, Melo really never adapted to that. I don't think it was so much that the triangle is antiquated as much as when your leader doesn't buy in, uh, you're really not going to be able to make any progress, and, and guys aren't going to be able to learn. They don't know what they're, what they're doing every day when they come into the gym. Uh, and I think from that point on, uh, it just became to, you know, this, this spiral uh, to where we are today. Well, well, give us a sense on the court of what that might look like as far as him not buying in or, or not like running the offense well. Where, how would that manifest itself in, in the actual gameplay? Interesting because, especially this year, they wanted to do some early type stuff. So what, what they wanted to implement this year was kind of a modernized, modernized version of the triangle where 
you'd, you'd try to get those early threes and those early pick and roll, pick and pops. You saw a lot of that stuff with Porzingis and more Brandon Jennings than Rose, although Rose, you know, did give, did feed him once in a while. But Mello would, would kind of just be in this middle area in transition because he's not the fastest guy. In fact, he's probably now one of the slowest guys in the league. And, you know, by loafing and kind of trailing the play, uh, you know, there was a lot of that, you know, mid-post stuff. And by the time the ball gets to him, now you're looking at 15, 14 seconds on the shot clock, which uh, there was, that was the majority of mellow shots. Once he got the ball, there was no passing after that. It was just sort of a quick understanding. He's got his matchup right. So, you know, in, in the, the mid-post, uh, and, and then the ball would go up. Do you feel like it got, you know, I don't want to use the word nefarious necessarily, but do you feel like it got to the point where maybe he was intentionally, you know, wishing ill on the, on the offense? Uh, no question, and it was reported, and we mentioned it more than a couple of times on, on our podcast, The X and O's, that uh, when Chris Stapps Porzingis actually said some positive things about the triangle, Mello pulled him aside and, and really laid into him. I think the quote was he chewed him out. But uh, th- there was a sense from Carmelo that you're not going to support this thing. This is me versus Phil, and you got to pick a side. And a lot of people think because of his relationship with Mello and, you know, really idolizing Mello going back, you know, Porzingis is 100% pro-Mello in the situation. I think KP just doesn't want anything to do with the distractions. I think he wants to focus on, you know, getting his big contract, you know, taking his big step forward to being that all-NBA player that everybody thinks he's going to be. And that's why – they have to figure out a way to get rid of Carmelo and move him away from Porzingis if this franchise is going to move forward. It, no question about it, Melo was very resistant, and he wanted to make sure that everybody in the locker room was sided with him rather than Phil. Now, now, do you feel like that was how it always was, or was there something that happened over the course of the Phil Jackson era that got him to be that extreme? When I go back to last summer, when Melo was really pushing for Phil to sign Dwayne Wade, uh, and Phil just didn't want to give him two years guaranteed at $50 million. Uh, basically, they, Wade, from what I understand, from what I was told from someone close to Phil, was Wade uh, really wanted to be with Mello here, um, but they weren't going above that $45 million over the two guaranteed years. And I think that, that sort of let Mello know that you know, Phil's not necessarily 100% all about him as well, uh, and, and that really started the friction for the, for the year, remainder of the year. Phil did go out and get Derrick Rose. They did sign Courtney Lee. They did sign Joakim Noah. But N- Mello never really took to those guys and never really tried to bring those guys together on the floor. And I think that was a big part of, uh, again, how this thing sort of you know, began to unravel. Well, what do you think um, about the future of the triangle offense in itself in the NBA? Is this the death of it? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I honestly think the triangle, from a defensive standpoint, getting having two guards back really is something that can help. Uh, right now, obviously, we know the NBA regular season is very much space and, and getting stuff in transition. I still think that that's, uh, th- that can help uh, if people can really be taught through the ranks coming up about floor balance, you know, about uh, passing and reading and, and about, you know, getting the best shot for teammates as opposed to just rushing the ball down the court trying to attack with the rim and, you know, kicking out and, and settling for those uh, rhythm free pointers. It's not, it's not a, obviously a, a bad way to play basketball. Golden State certainly has, uh, has proven that. Cleveland has proved, proven that it works. Houston as well. Um, but you're, you're always going to need that mid-range. You're always going to need that high post to, to float, you know, the ball through sometimes, float, slow the ball through sometimes. Uh, and, you know, if you have a good passing big man and athletic, uh, you know, guys and guards can cut to the basket, you're still going to get a lot of easy layups. 
Uh, and you can't shoot three-pointers every single possession. You can shoot them the majority, but certainly not uh, every single possession. And again, the playoffs, you, you want the ball to flow through. You see it with LeBron. You see it with Draymond Green. You see it with Durant. When a team needs a basket off of a, 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 a the other team makes, and you got to go five on five and a half court, you're going to need that high post, that, that UCLA post. Uh, and, and that really is at the core what the triangle is. It's about balance. It's about getting the ball to go through the post. And, and just cutting and reading. And, and I hope that doesn't die. Maybe I'm trying to be uh, a little too optimistic, but um, it's all about people like you and people who you know love to talk about it and continue to teach it, then uh, it'll live for sure. Well, Tommy, uh, thank you so much for giving us a lot of this great insight. Uh, and I, I hope I agree with you, and I hope that uh, we continue to see the triangle. Certainly a lot of his actions are still out there, and I hope that maybe one day we'll see somebody do pure triangle again. Me too. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great way to play basketball. Certainly a frustrating one to watch if you were a Knicks fan when Phil was coaching the Bulls. But, uh, you know, again, I think it all starts at the grassroots level, and uh, let's, let's, let's keep that, uh, see, see if it can be kept alive there. You got it. Well, thank you so much for coming on again, and, um, you know, uh, good luck to the Knicks this year. Thanks, Coach. Always a pleasure. So, as this chapter of the triangle ends, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom, since plenty of teams still run lots of triangle actions in their offense. I always get the tinge of excitement when I notice it, like a Bigfoot sighting in the forest. It does feel like those pieces of triangle won't go away anytime soon, and hopefully after this show, it will continue to live on in your imagination, until the next coach with enough clout and determination decides to run it. Thanks for joining me on this journey through the triangle offense may it be just the beginning of our voyage together.